Good morning. We are, we are actually members of St. George's. Uh, last Christmas Day, Laura and I were asked to kneel. I thought it would just be a simple transfer of membership. But Ryan said, oh, no, no, not at St. George's. There's way more to it. And we were glad. We were really pleased that we, that we knelt at the baptismal font and uh, there and the way that went. So um, I had the privilege of choosing one verse of that scripture, which goes with my testimony. Um, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And I also got to choose the hymn of the day, which I, the Lord of sea and sky, which I'll make reference to. When I was asked to give my testimony as part of stewardship month here at St. George's, I thought in some ways I had already done that when I preached back in June. I told you about my dad dying when I was very young and the, the impact that had on my life. I spoke about how I found Jesus at a Christian summer camp and then firmed up my faith by attending a Billy Graham crusade in my mid-teens. So isn't that testimony enough? I found Jesus? Well, actually, what I didn't tell you was how I wandered away from the church and let my faith fade in my late teens. It was the late 60s and into the early 70s. You know, peace, love, and rock and roll, plus a few other things. And I know some of you were there right along with me. And interesting times, to say the least. But here's something I strongly believe. God has a plan for each and every one of us, including me. I realize now, as I look back, that even as I wandered waywardly, God was dropping hints that I was not to be a lost, lost sheep for long. For example, from time to time, I would be watching a movie, and there would be a church service, or more likely a funeral service, which they seem to like to start a lot of movies with or TV shows with a funeral service. It kind of sets a new beginning or something. I'm not sure. <clears throat> Suddenly, I would feel emotions stirring within me from an earlier time in my life, such as when they prayed, or they sang some old familiar hymn, or the minister spoke a well-known scripture passage. Another God hint, as I like to call it, is when Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel wrote the lyrics and recorded the song, American Tune, in 1975. It always haunted me because it sounded so familiar. I didn't realize until many years later when I was asked to do a devotional on my favorite Holy Week Easter hymn. And that's when I connected the dots. Some of the dots were a little fuzzy in the early 70s. <laughs> See, I told you, they're with me. There. <laughs> it is the same tune as O Sacred Head, Sore Wounded. Paul Simon's version, many a time I've been mistaken and many times confused. Or, from Voices Unite at 145, O sacred head sore wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, so mournful, so sad, and so true. It was these types of hints from God that eventually drew me back to the church with a renewed faith. It didn't mean that I didn't do a little more wandering from time to time in the years since, 
but I always circled back to the church and my faith in Jesus as my Savior. And whenever I did circle back to the church, God opened up many doors for me and has given me so many opportunities to serve. That's why I chose the hymn, I, the Lord of Sea and Sky. I love the words to the chorus, Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. Do you ever hear God calling in the night? Maybe it's more about laying awake at night and trying to decide, trying to decide if something you have been asked to do in the church is right for you, like giving this testimony. As I said at the beginning, I strongly believe God has a plan for each one of us. And for me, most recently, an important part of that plan was to lead Lauren and I straight to the front doors of St. George's United Church. When we moved away from Vancouver two years ago, we faced a huge void in our lives, and that was not having a church home. And it was odd because we went south for a few months after, after I retired and we moved to Demon and we headed straight south. And people would say, where's your church home? We'd go to another church. Where's your church? And we'd go, it's, uh, um, and, and we didn't have anything to say. And more daunting was the challenge of finding a new church home when we came back. I think it's called church shopping. And we did a little, but we just kept coming back to St. George's. One of the questions we are asked to answer in our testimony is what brought you here to St. George's? For me, the answer is simple, God. God brought me here to St. George's as part of his plan for me. Another question suggested is, what keeps you coming back? And for that, I have another simple answer. You, you, the people of St. George's who welcomed me in, who have accepted me as I am, I like to think that, who have asked me to be on committees and sing in the choir, who have allowed me to participate in worship as I'm doing at this very moment. But there is so much more than that that keeps me coming back to St. George's. And that is what I see going on here in this church every day. And in, in particular, the welcoming and the outreach. Remember last Sunday when Rosemary asked all those who contribute in so many diverse ways to St. George's to stand up. And I know there were some that weren't standing that have done their time, have served their time in the past. I had a good view from the choir loft that so many of you stood. It was an amazing sight and confirmed for me the commitment that many of you make, not only in the day-to-day -day operations, but more importantly, to make this church inviting and inspiring. And another question is, that is asked is, where is God in all this for you? Well, I know that God is here and ever-present at St. George's in all that we do. This place is overflowing with the Holy Spirit. This church is anchored in the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I want to be part of that. I continually thank God for including St. George's United Church as part of his plan for me. Amen. Amen. And thank you. Thank you, Keith. That was wonderful. Stories of grace and gratitude, and we'll continue each week in November with another story. And you thought that you got out of hearing a sermon today. Ha ha. <laughs> Think again. Let us pray.
God, the words you speak have power. Power to create, power to disturb, and power to heal. Help us to hear your word of hope for us today. Amen. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. And this is the passage that Keith chose for his testimony, Jeremiah 29, 11. And I think it's a perfect choice. I mean, there, there's a banner in the narthex, actually, that has this very phrase on it uh, uh, for, your, for your perusal following the service. It's a perfect choice, I think, simply for the fact that Keith talks about believing that God has a plan or that God has an intention for each of our lives. I have plans for you, God says, to give you a hope and a future. And that God is somehow fulfilling that intention for him and for Laura and all of us in being part of this community of faith. This idea that Keith points out in his testimony, the idea that God has a plan, or maybe in different language, God has an intention for the world is traditionally called the doctrine of providence. Providence from the Latin pro-video, meaning to look ahead, to prepare, to supply, or to act with foresight. Somehow God goes ahead. Providence is the idea that God unceasingly cares for the world and that all things are in God's hands and that God is ultimately or finally leading drawing the world to its final appointed goal. That God is already at work bringing about the eventual flourishing of creation, even if it doesn't seem like that in the present. And this is not the same as saying that God causes every single thing to happen, whether earthquakes, cancer, or the Holocaust. That's different. That's actually a pagan idea, a traditional pagan idea, called fate or determinism, the idea that every single thing in the future is set and that we have no role to play in it. But it does not mean that everything happens simply by chance. God has a purpose, a purpose of love, a purpose, a goal for the universe and for all of creation to flourish and to be healed, to be made new and to be made full, and that each each of us as individuals and parts of groups can be part caught up in this plan or this intention. And we can participate in it here and now. Now, this can be an especially hard thing to believe as modern people. That God looks ahead, that somehow there's a future prepared for us. We are heirs of the scientific revolution and while we've come to a much deeper understanding of how our universe works, we've also come to believe that everything is random, that everything is somehow the product of pure, blind chance. But also in the last century, we've seen levels of violence never before seen in history. And combine that with our despair over the future of our planet and the idea that our lives contain meaning, that there's some hidden divine purpose in things, it sounds impossible. It sounds laughable, even. 
The interesting thing, though, about the passage Keith chose is that it wasn't written during the good times, right? It wasn't, you know, where, you know, stocks are up and everybody, a drink for everybody. It wasn't during high times of prosperity or optimism. It was written to Israel, God's people, during the Babylonian exile, where the Babylonians, the world's largest superpower, invaded. They burnt cities to the ground, destroyed their Jerusalem temple. They tortured and executed thousands of people, including women and children. And to top it all off, they carted all the leaders and educated people in Israel to imprisonment in Babylon so they couldn't, you know, stir things up. You know, just think about uh, Lenin being sent from the Soviet Union to France to keep him out of trouble. From our perspective, it was only a 70-year period. But for them, as often for us, it seemed hopeless. It's hard to believe in anything like providence when your world comes to an end. It's impossible. It's laughable, even. And yet, standing in a pile of rubble and anguish, Jeremiah was given this word. God says to Jeremiah that he has plans for Israel for welfare and not for harm. Past the present moment. I will restore your fortunes, God says, and I will gather all the nations from all the places where I have driven you out, and I, says the Lord, I will bring you back to the place where I, from which I sent you into exile. I will gather you and I will bring you back. Keep hope. So in the midst of exile, God throws Israel a life preserver to keep them going in the form of Jeremiah's message of hope. One that would rescue them from drowning in despair, even in their darkest moments. It didn't fix things, at least not immediately. The exile was 70 years, remember. There were impossibly hard times ahead. But the hope gave them strength. It gave them courage to face the present moment. Knowing that God has a purpose for life and that with God they had a future. Even if they couldn't see it, being able to see a light, however dim, believing in divine providence somehow made things livable again. It made things livable again. And this is the same word we heard in Keith's testimony, the sense that even in our wandering or the world's wandering into brokenness away from God, that we are never abandoned. That in ways however hidden, however mysterious, we're still given a future and a hope. God is always drawing us back to herself if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. It's what makes life livable even when living seems like the last option possible. And you know, this is where the church fits in. Communities of faith, like St. George's at its best, we're here, the church exists as Jeremiah. 
to carry forward this message of divine providence to a world in desperate need of hope. For some kind of a plan, a purpose beyond the anxious exile of the present moment. We exist to spread the news far and wide to each new generation. And to be reminded to pass down to our children and grandchildren the hope that is within us. That the universe isn't merely a series of accidents, though there are accidents. But all life has a meaning, a purpose, a destination. Because with God, the end is never truly the end. It ain't over till God says it's over. So we don't simply serve the church with our time, talent, and money so the institution will keep the lights on and be able to pay the bills. Though, yes, we'd like to keep the lights on and we'd like to pay the bills. No, we serve, we give, we fight our kids to get into the car to get here. We put up with difficult personalities and the occasional dull sermon, or maybe many dull sermons. <laughs> we pay the bills and we keep the lights on so we can announce and live out the providential hope that God gives the world in Jesus Christ. So friends, this Stewardship Month, don't just get caught up in questions like, what more can I give? Although if you'd like to give more, please consider that. Or what else can I do? Or if you'd like to do more, please consider that. But instead, listen to stories of grace and gratitude like Keith's. Listen and ask where God is leading you. God is drawing you. God is pulling you, screaming and kicking to help us to be a better, more faithful expression of God's love for the world. To be a more faithful church and to better fulfill God's mission by sharing a hope in a future for all people. To share this hope for a world that is in such desperate need for hope. And when we do, writes Jeremiah, when you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And thank God for that. Amen.